Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 31 of Attitude Check. Today we're excited to continue in our series of uh, professors, and today we have Juan Gallego from University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. Juan was one of my favorite professors when I was in the business program at UCCS. Uh, One, because he's really interesting to listen to because originally he's from Spain, so he has a really cool accent. And two, he's one of those professors that actually has legitimate real-world experience uh, running major corporations in different countries um, in South America and China. So he has a diverse background in international business, and he is really a thought leader on diversity and inclusion too. So this conversation was a real pleasure for me, especially being able to sit across from him as not a student anymore, as someone early in my career. The dynamic was really interesting, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Juan Gallego. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community, effect change, and produce impact. I'm John Mark Ratzbinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having, but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we are excited to have Juan Gallego as our guest. Juan is an instructor at University of Colorado at Colorado Springs, and he is also a on-call faculty member at Center for Creative Leadership. Juan, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And as always, we like to start off with an icebreaker question. So Juan, since you told me that you are a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, we're going to keep that in the theme today. So what is your favorite thing about the Lord of the Rings world, franchise, universe, however you want to put it, that the average person doesn't know about? Wow, that's a good question, Bran. Uh, <laughs> so one of the big things I like about um, the Lord of the Rings is uh, is uh, the detail that Tolkien went into narrating the different cultures and how he also talked about the languages uh, for some of the cultures and how in, in some of the, the scenes, especially if you read the books, you, you find that conflict between the different cultures. So, for example, you know the Hobbit that needs to eat at least seven meals a day, you know, <laughs> and then uh, you have the other people that know they only like three, you know, and uh, so that's part of the culture and the little conflicts you have, which is uh, kind of humorous sometimes. But the way that he went into detail about differentiating those cultures, it's actually just amazing. It's a, it was something that I, that I find very interesting, especially because Tolkien was an English uh, professor. Uh, you know, uh, and so for him, it was very important to to, to be able to, to differentiate uh, the different characters, but also to differentiate the different cultures. I found that pretty, pretty interesting. So if someone wants to kind of dig into that and really experience that, what is uh, the best resource for that or which books in particular should they look at? They'll have to read all of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the book where he kind of connects everything together is the Silmarillion. Which is already in Spanish, so that's not why I'm pronouncing it like that. I don't know if there's an <laughs> English way of pronouncing it, but uh, he actually gives you little stories, and you can see how the culture is born from those from the, those little stories. So that, that that's a good book. It's not the best written book by Tolkien because he never actually finished this. It was his son who actually finished the book, but it's a very interesting way of seeing how from stories you get the cultures to 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 appear. So that, that could be a good uh, source for, for individuals who want to learn more about uh, the culture of the Tolkien uh, characters. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, that's. I wasn't expecting that answer just with the intricacy of the different cultures in there, but I'm sure it must be really interesting to read about that in detail. Tolkien was a genius when it came to writing. The amount of thought that went into it, I mean, mm-hmm. creating languages, creating cultures, it's crazy. Yeah, keeping <laughs> track of it. I mean, uh, if you think about it now, people do it uh, with the Star Trek and, uh, and Star Wars and stuff like that. He was one of the first people to really do it mm-hmm. you know before that people would just jabble whatever they want and then figure nobody was paying attention and then Tolkien said no no I'm gonna spend time creating those languages creating those cultures creating a whole link in history you know an alternative universe it was very, very interesting he was an excellent storyteller because of the time that he took to yeah. and all the behind the scenes yeah. yeah and it goes back to the fact that all humans we love stories so our brains are actually wired to listen to stories uh, if you want to capture anybody's attention, just just start by telling them a story, and you know, and then you will have their full attention. And you know, it may come from the time we used to share, you know, a fire and just share stories around the fire, mm-hmm. or uh, I don't know what it is, but we just love stories. Our brains are, are just wired for that. So, I know for I know that there's studies behind it for learning, like when people are speaking or teaching, just having some sort of story helps to cement the the learning lesson. I always think that they should have a storytelling class as a requirement at mm-hmm. universities. I think that would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, and there's a couple of professors here that are writing uh, about that. So uh, Dr. Andrew Chaplinsky and Martin Key, they actually write about the importance of storytelling when it comes to marketing, as it relates to marketing. And uh, I believe they're writing a couple of articles about mm-hmm. that. So it's super interesting. So Juan, take us through the story of how you got to where you're at. So you're not from the United States. Um, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, take us through growing up and how you got to the United States um, and thereafter. So I was born originally in Spain. Uh, I was born in Madrid, but I moved right away to Alicante, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, I went to a French school since the age of three. So I, you know, even though we're in Alicante, there was a French school that, that got established there. So since I was three, I went to French school. I got to learn different cultures right away and be interacting with different individuals. And then um, for summers, once I got to, to uh, be, I believe I was 14 years old, the first time I traveled, uh, uh, and in order to, to get my English, you know, to be better, uh, I, uh, my parents uh, sent me to Cork in Ireland. Uh, so I used to go spend summers there and it was a wonderful summer as you can imagine, you know, if you get to travel, you know, that was the first <laughs> time I, I got into an airplane was to, to fly between uh, uh, Madrid and Cork uh, and I just, I just loved it. It was very nice uh, and that's when I started uh, getting the idea about going to the U.S. So mm-hmm. where I was staying, uh, which I called it my Irish mother, Dimna, uh, Dimna Hunt, uh, uh, all her family had migrated to uh, the U.S. You know, between that and the fact that I love to uh, uh, to read, so a lot of books were, you know, maybe authors were American. The fact that I like to watch a lot of movies, so a lot of my movies were American, you know. Um, I got a pretty early on idea, but just, I needed to just go to the U.S., study there. So in my last year of high school, my parents sent me to Wall Lake, Michigan, you know, and that's where I finished high school at Wall Lake Western. Soon after, I, I decided I wanted to stay there. Uh, so I went to uh, Central Michigan University and I got uh, my bachelor's degree there. And then uh, from there on, I went to get my master's in Arizona at a Thunderbird, my uh, master's in international management. And then I got hired by a company uh, 
uh, that was just starting to expand in Latin America, Nokia, which was uh, mobile handsets. I spent a wonderful 17 years with that company, traveling the world. I got to leave, uh, you know, my manager of Latin America for a while. Uh, I got to live in, uh, in, back in Madrid, uh, managing uh, an account in Europe and Morocco. Then I went to China. So a lot of traveling. You know, but it was pretty nice. So after China, my wife and I were looking for a break. And one of my goals had always been to finish my doctorate and uh, teach. And that's what we decided to come here to Colorado Springs. Hmm. So we came here in 2010. And then I did some consulting work at the beginning while I was finishing my, my doctorate. And I started uh, teaching up at Regis University up in Denver. They had a very interesting uh, graduate program where they were teaching uh, half of the courses uh uh, half of the time in Spanish, half of the time in English. It was hmm. a dual language uh, master degree, which I thought was great. Uh, so I got involved with that. I loved it. And then I was uh, eventually got an opportunity to work here at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and I'm loving it here. So I've been, I've been a full-time as an instructor for the last three years. And uh, also working for Center for Career Leadership, which allows me to still have some interaction with the uh, executives and get to travel once in a while. Not too much because I don't want to travel too much, but just once in a while I get to travel. Uh, and that's also an excellent experience as well. So uh, that's pretty much my story in uh, hopefully five minutes. <laughs> so can you take us into a little bit more detail about the work you do uh, with CCL um, as far as leadership? And I know you also do some consulting work for uh, like diversity and inclusion. Could you, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that as well? Sure. I'll start with the diversity and inclusion. So about uh, four years ago, five years, four years ago, I think it was, a colleague of mine from Regis uh, reached out because the there was a police department up uh, in Denver that was uh, looking for uh, uh, diversity training. Uh, until then, pretty much all the diversity training uh, was hasn't been very effective. Uh, basically, you had individuals that came in, they told them everything they were doing wrong, and you know everybody ticked the box saying, "Okay, we got it," because it's mandatory. So we, we got the training. They got the training. They got to yell and be yelled at and all that, and they left. And uh, everybody was happy for the next two years. <laughs> uh, and this police department was actually looking for something that was different. They were looking for uh, a way to actually learn about diversity. Uh, and in my case, I also think inclusion has to always go hand in hand with diversity. So with my, my friend and colleague, uh, Matthias Brand, we put together uh, basically a, a cultural diversity program that in, involved also inclusion in such a way that people will get to learn about their biases and how to prevent them in some cases. And about, we talked about there was a lot of culture. Uh, there was a lot of psychology, so we, we worked on all those uh, different fields. And it was fairly successful. Uh, we, we ran it uh, for a couple of years. He's still running it. Unfortunately, I don't have time to actually be more involved with that, uh, that project, but it has been uh, very successful. We did first diversity and inclusion, and they asked us to come back with a different type of program. program. So we did uh, procedural justice as it relates to uh, diversity, and that was uh, fairly interesting. Uh, with the Center for Career Leadership, I started working with them uh, about three or four years ago. Um, basically, I facilitate different programs on, related to leadership. So I work for uh, with uh, either entry-level managers all the way to uh, executive boards. We just work on different areas. So they may have an area that they need to develop, uh, and that's what we focus on, and we help them develop that specific area. 
So, for example, recently it was an organization whose industry is kind of uh, declining. They know they have to switch industries, so they were saying, okay, how do we get ready for that? So we went through different things uh, and created different things. So they had a strategy plan now that they could implement. And, um, you know, in another case was a company uh, that was pretty much going through the same uh, issues. You know, they had uh, some changes they knew they had to do. They had a a major uh, restructuring of the organization. So they wanted to know how to get their people to be more effective uh, leading other individuals. It's a beautiful work um, because you get to work with unbelievable people. It's very high potential. You know, I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I get to travel once in a while too as well. So that's, that's some of it. So I feel like nowadays diversity and inclusion is kind of goes hand in hand. They're almost interchangeable to some people. Um, so in your opinion, uh, what makes a good diversity and inclusion program within a company? So the first step was basically diversity. And I thought that was great in the way that you, you brought in people from different. Uh, first, it was very focused on, on, on gender. Then it was very focused on, on race. Uh, but actually, diversity goes beyond that. It goes into age as well. It goes about uh, having people with different educational backgrounds. Uh, if you are in some companies, for example, in Europe, uh, you may notice that uh, managers may hire people that come from their same school. So basically, you're getting a bunch of graduates from the same school working all together. That's not diversity. So you need to bring people from different ones. So dif- uh, diversity definitely is the first big step. The next one is inclusion because um, you need to be able to tap into all those resources. And we have a tendency to be better now at diversity. I think we still have a long ways to go on the inclusion side. Inclusion side could be something as easy as when you're in a, running a meeting, making sure you ask questions to whoever is not saying anything, making sure you get different opinions. And the idea here is that you get uh, different perspectives. Uh, different perspectives allow you to be more creative. Yes, it may take you longer to come out to a decision because you have more different people giving you opinions. But at the same time, that final decision is going to be richer in content that that other ones could be. So um, I, I think that uh, most companies nowadays are missing the inclusion side, even though they have really done great progress in diversity, which I think is great. But they need to work more on inclusion. And that involves, that's a lot of things that you have to, have to do. So I don't know if you want me to start naming them or, you know. Uh, sure, if you want to list off a couple. Sure, okay. Uh, well, one of the big things uh, you have to understand about inclusion is that in order to, to be more inclusive, you know, you need to know about yourself. So basically, you have to have self-awareness. Uh, self-awareness, for example, about your biases. What are you biased towards? You know, do, uh, and everybody has biases. It's normal. Uh, biases are developed for the fact that uh, we have been brought up in, in groups, in different tribes, if you want to call it like that. So we have learned to like some people more than others. And our prehistorical brain likes to say, okay, if I don't like you, then you might be from some different tribes, so you are not one of my priorities. Uh, and unfortunately, that creates a bias right there. Mm. Bias goes back also to not really having knowledge about something. So maybe you have never been exposed to uh, a certain culture, so you don't know anything about them. Or you may not uh, never have worked with a different type of uh, gender or different age, or you know, and that creates certain things. So uh, self-awareness is the first step that uh, you need to, to, to understand. You need to figure out, okay, what am I biased against and watch for that. Okay, that's one. Uh, the other thing too is is making sure that you, you get people more 
included into your conversations. So I just gave you the example of the meeting room. The other thing could be also having uh, open meetings where people go and, and give their opinions. So basically that that's actually great for many different reasons. One of them is it lowers the burnout effect within an organization. So when somebody can just come in, hey, I'm concerned because of this, 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 and this. And then you get them into contact with somebody who may help. Uh, so those are some of the methods that uh, you may be able to do. There's a lot of surveys and assessments that you can actually take uh, to figure out who you are. So that's some uh, some of the, 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 the actions you can take to reduce your own uh, biases. I've taken one of those assessments. It's interesting because, like you said, it's not biases that you recognize that you even realize that you have. Um, so it was insightful when I took that and helped Which me. Which one did you do? I can't remember. It. It, was, it was a while back, back when I was still in school, so probably three okay. or four years ago. Okay. Uh, but I do remember some of some of the biases that I have, and I was like, that's weird. I didn't realize that I had that. Yeah. But it helped me to, to actively work on changing that. So yeah. to all of our listeners, I would say that it's very helpful <laughs> to take a, a diversity assessment like that. Yeah, and there's uh, some of them that are free. So there's one that was by the University of Harvard. Harvard University, uh, it's called implicit implicit bias test, and it's free. So you take it, you have actually uh, biases, you get to check your biases on race, on um, gender, working women, and, you know, different cultures. It's actually very interesting. Uh, uh, handicapped individuals, uh, I mean, it's actually very rich about everything you can uh, test it on, and uh, they're free. So you take it, and then uh, it lets you know how much of a bias you have to certain uh, groups of individuals. Going back to earlier in your career when you started working for Nokia, obviously, you know, working in South America, you kind of see the correlation or relationship there, you being a, a Spanish speaker. So can you tell us a little bit about the transition? Was that the first opportunity with that company in South America, or did you actively just seek out a position that was abroad? Well, I wanted to do international business, but I just happened to be the, the first opportunity I got was uh, Latin America. I didn't, uh, I don't know if I sought it out or it just happened mm -hmm. yeah uh, <laughs> i was very happy with it uh so i got to meet different cultures you know i love to study cultures and because also the travel f was kind of a long so if you fly there it was like eight to ten hours depending where you were going uh, i ended up spending at the beginning the weekends in different countries so i got to actually know as well the customer and the culture so um, selling which is what i was doing i was in sales and marketing it's all about building uh, relationships. In order to relationship, you have to spend time with individuals. Um, so I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, I don't know if I actually saw it. I know I wanted to do something international, and that's what I ended up doing. Uh, but Latin America always offered an advantage, which is the fact that I spoke Spanish. And at the same time, you know, I, I was based out of the U.S. too, which helped as well. So, so was moving to China a part of the plan? Overall, too. Um, that was my wife's decision, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we had been already uh, uh, handling. I had already been in Europe for, I believe, it was almost five years, running a project. Um, we were, I was getting a bit tired of being there, and there was some changes coming up. And I thought, you know, I, I'm one of those people that believe in that change should be something that happens regularly. Otherwise, you get too comfortable in your position. And I had already been doing that uh, position for, mm, I think, I believe it was like three years. So I, I wanted to, to have a change. Uh, so a good friend of mine happened to be running the largest account uh, globally uh, for uh, Nokia, which happened to be China Mobile, based out of Beijing. So I mentioned it to my wife. Uh, my wife had previously lived in uh, Japan, 
So she said, hey, fine, I'm all for it. Let's try it. You know, the kids were happy to, to just try something new. So we just uh, decided to go ahead and uh, give it a try. I was there for about two and a half years. I really enjoyed the experience, but I was also ready to just relax a little bit. And that's why we decided for Colorado mm-hmm. Springs. So it seems like all of your previous business experience really lent itself towards your understanding of uh, diversity and inclusion and, and integrating that into a, a corporate culture and teaching programs like that. Um, was your consulting work now in leadership and inclusion and diversity always a part of what you wanted to do or is it something you gradually discovered? That's a very good question. I think I, I gradually discovered that that's what I wanted to do. I couldn't figure out why sometimes you will walk into a negotiation and things worked magically and sometimes it was no way to move out of the uh, standing positions. And I realized after reading many books and all that, that a lot of times it came down to understanding each other. Uh, I was just understanding the standing position or, or the fact that, you know, um, just to give you an example, when you negotiate uh, with Chinese organizations, they don't really negotiate in a linear manner. So as the you know, Western type, we start with clause number one, this is clause number two, clause number three, and we'll get to the end of the contract. If you are negotiating with a, a Chinese organization, you may start clause one, clause two, clause three, and clause three is changing the overall meaning of clause one. So then it goes back to clause one. So they start negotiating clause one because that, you know, the overall meaning, a holistic <laughs> meaning of the contract is changed. If you don't know that that may happen, then you may get very frustrated. Uh, so I noticed that uh, diversity was also something that organizations were really taking advantage of. I mean, Nokia grew a lot because of diversity. My team, I had people from many different countries, many different uh, backgrounds, and it was great. You know, and we were coming up with solutions that I know just myself would never come up with. But I, we came up with a solution because there was inclusion. Because I was asking them, okay, tell me more, challenge me. Uh, and that's how I got to have success in businesses because I got everybody else involved. So then I started figuring out, okay, how can I convey this knowledge to other individuals? And that's why I wrote the book to start with, but also that's part of uh, when I teach in different organizations, I try to learn from them almost as much as they can learn from me. That's what, what I think the CCL, the work with CCL is a very good match. Because I get to learn from my customers uh, as much as they get to learn from me. Juan, as you progress throughout your career, how was mentorship impactful? Did you have mentors or? I had, uh, I don't know if I would call them mentors. I had uh, very good friends that I could rely on to tell me what to do, to ask me the tough questions that nobody was asking me. So you created a good support system. Uh, I created a very good support system. I'm very happy. I mean, just, I mean, to start with, my wife has always been wonderful. I mean, she... (laughs) She's the one that just makes sure that I'm, my feet are down to earth, you know, and I'm not, my head is not getting too big. Uh, <laughs> uh, but she has tough questions and she asked them from a different point of view. So she's a counselor, you know, uh, a clinical psych- uh, counselor. So she, uh, she knows how to ask a question to make you think. And uh, that's uh, great. Uh, she's a, she listened very well as well. I also made sure that I always kept in touch with my old colleagues even though I also tried to develop new colleagues as well. So even though I had my old network, I would expand a new network when I went into a new position. Uh, so for example, when I went into China, I knew that uh, my old network 
was not going to able to give me maybe the support that I needed for China. So I had to develop a new network within China to be able to, to you know, so then you start and define, okay, so who knows best about these different things? So you start getting different people to provide you with different questions, challenges, and, and, uh, and knowledge. Um, so that's one, one way of doing it. Uh, I, I don't know if I properly ever had a mentor uh, myself. I know I mentor many of my colleagues. Some of my colleagues, I actually mentor them. But it, it was because they were actively seeking my help. It was never because I was actually actively offering them uh, to be mentored. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, how do you define mentor? I mean, from your point of view. Mentorship can really be anything. It can it can be a formal mentor. It can be someone that you learn from afar, like an author that you follow okay. or a podcast that you follow. I find that mentorship can be impactful when you have the right attitude. So okay. if you can't find like a formal formal mentor in person, yeah. then take what you can. There's so many resources out there. So the, that kind of attitude was helpful for me when I went through periods of time when I didn't have a formal mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that I still learn a lot from it. Now, do you have different mentors for different stages in your life? Yes. Different I, moods? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when I first started out going to UCCS trying to figure out what I do, I had one mentor that really helped me through that, that worked at UCCS as a professor also. Um, and then as I transitioned out of that, I found another mentor that was more life and beyond. And now I'm in the, um, the stage where I want to find specifically a career mentor, someone is who is close to where I want to be at or is where I want to be at down the road. That's an interesting concept to mentor for a different mood because I've heard of people having mentors for, you know, different pieces of their life, like maybe a, a mentor for your relationship or a mentor for your career and especially different stages. But I've never really considered having people there, um, whether that's a mentor or a support system or anything like that, that's dependent on a certain mood. And as I kind of reflect on that, that's kind of interesting. And I feel like I have some people there. I have one friend. uh, I'm not sure if I'd call her a mentor per se, but I know I always go to her um, whenever I need to just check myself because I know that no matter what, she's going to tell me things that I don't want to hear about myself. So (laughs) I think it's, it's good to consider that too, as far as, you know, who are you utilizing out there to learn from and to really just uh, grow both introspectively and um, open your mind to different possibilities. So I'm definitely going to have to reevaluate <laughs> that uh, that support group. So yeah, I mean def- definitely. I mean if you think about it, we go through moods, you know. So you, sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're less happy, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's normal, that's cyclical. But it, sometimes they relate to a specific area. So if I think right now I have two very good friends that when I'm a little bit down or I'm thinking am I doing the right thing, I know I can reach out to them. And not only they provide me sometimes with an ego boost, you know, and they actually, but they also are able to bring out the positive in things that are happening. And you also have the opposite. You have people that you, you are able to talk to and they bring you down to earth because they are telling you, okay, well, you think everything is great, but what about all this thing that is going on here? And then they, they draw your attention to things that maybe you need to address at that moment. So definitely, I mean, uh, that's, uh, yeah, mood is actually something in, very interesting to, to keep an eye on. So if a student comes up to you and they're asking you for your advice, they want to go into a career of either marketing or strategic management, or they just want to develop their leadership skills, 
um, what's some advice that you would give them? So it depends what, what exactly they're trying to do. So recently I had a student that came out. Uh, she was uh, wondering uh, if she should take a job that will give her the experience that she was seeking or that everybody was asking for. So everybody was asking you for certain experience. At the same time, uh, she wasn't really uh, looking forward to working in that organization. So my recommendation at the time was, okay, so instead of doing that, why don't you go get your master's degree? First of all, it gives you time to really put your thing, you know, your head straight and what you want to do. Uh, at the same time, um, because you get a master's degree, that counts as a couple of years worth of experience. So then you're getting the experience you want to get, but you're also getting a, a higher uh, educational degree. So that's, you know, you're getting both of them. So it depends a lot on the advice that they're seeking. Uh, I have a lot of uh, company, uh, a lot of students that come out uh, interested in developing their own business, which I think is great. I think in, in, I like entrepreneurs. My dad was an entrepreneur. I've done several things myself uh, as an entrepreneur, which some of them were completely disasters or the ones they turned out <laughs> bad. And I, I have, you know, different ways of helping them develop, for example, business plans. So I sit down with them and I have different resources. So there's no one single advice for everybody. It just depends really on the question that they're asking. Because sometimes what they're seeking is different. And the situation. I mean, if it's not the same thing as you have a student, uh, you know, who is, uh, you know, the traditional students or the younger, you know, millennial Gen Z students versus somebody who, uh, you know, uh, he or she is a veteran, you know, they have spent, uh, they have a lot of experience, but they don't really know what the next step will be now that their degree is up. But they have tons of experience, but they don't really know how to, you know, so it's, it's completely different, uh, the advice you would give to one student versus the other. I'm sorry, I can never give you just a clear answer. <laughs> <laughs> Juan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, we're going to transition into a few of our bullet questions. So uh, tell us one resource that's useful to you in everyday life. Google. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, give us one book that you would recommend. Aside from yours, of course. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's a very good book by uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman. It's called uh, Think Fast, Think Slow. That's definitely a book I would recommend. Juan, again, thank you for being here. Share one parting piece of wisdom, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Uh, so the best way to connect with me is, is through my email. You can connect me at uh, through university. Uh, so that's uh, J-G-A-L-L-E-1-2 at ucc.edu. So that's my uh, university uh, email address. That's the best way to connect with me. Uh, or just look me up in the university uh, directory. You'll be able to find me there. Awesome. Again, Juan, thank you for taking the time to be with us. This is John Mark. And this is Brent. Signing off. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with Juan. For me personally, I really enjoyed nerding out with him and talking about Lord of the Rings and some of the, the fantasy authors. And again, it was really fun to just listen to Juan's journey of how he moved uh, from different places and how his career progressed uh, through different companies and countries and how he adapted to that. And it was really refreshing to hear his perspective on diversity and inclusion, especially nowadays as it's such a hot button topic. And if you get the chance, if you want to learn more about what his thoughts are, check out his book, The Shadow of Bias on Leadership. And I think you'll really enjoy being able to hear his direct thoughts on it and get some insight out of that. 
Be sure to check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for a new episode of Attitude Check. And don't forget to follow and like us on social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So make sure you uh, follow us for updates on everything that we're doing and to check out all of our new content. And be sure to tap that subscribe button on your favorite podcast hosting platform. Because let's face it, you know you want to. We'd love to hear your feedback or anything that you would like to hear on the show. You can email us at attitudecheckpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.